Thank you, John. Uh, as you know, John and I are very, very kind, and those words were very kind. <laughs> Believe me. Um, yeah, so uh, Claire and I uh, have, have been on a, a, a long and varied church journey, and uh, I would say at the moment we're in a we're in a we're in a place where we have we have stopped the church plant that we were doing a couple of years back, and we've had we've had time to rest and relax is what we thought, but uh, but unfortunately family life carries on. So I feel uh, this is my first time speaking for about two years. So I feel a bit rusty, but hopefully it all is going to go well. And uh, we've just come through this week. We've made it to half term, which is like, yes, we've made it to half term. You know, this shirt this morning, I, I was looking for, my, for my, my normal scruffy T-shirt to wear to bless you guys. But this is, this is the only thing left in the cupboard that was washed and that was actually fit me. Um, so that's where we are this morning. But uh, hopefully we're looking into Acts chapter 9. We carry on. You've been, you guys have been in a series, which, uh, which is in my, it's actually my favourite book of the Bible, Acts, uh, because it chronicles the history of the church immediately after Jesus' ascension. And uh, it just follows on from that wonderful work in the Gospels and Jesus' his, his, his death on the cross and his resurrection and, and, and the witness accounts and he's appearing to the disciples and the great missionary task that he has given everybody who follows after him, which is to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone and do all the things, he says to, he says to his disciples, do all the things I taught you to do. Jesus it hands over to these disciples and says, now go and do what I did. And uh, really when you look at this whole book of Acts, before we sort of start looking, because we're looking at a guy called Saul this morning, called Paul in the Roman, and he does some amazing things. But in the book of Acts, there's only ordinary people, and there's only an extraordinary God. <laughs> there isn't anything else. And this church starts, this, this new church, and the good news grows and spreads, and many start to follow Jesus and belong to this first first church you know and, and when you look at acts it's like it's like it feels like to me it's like our history <laughs> it's our it's our it's, it's where we came from we are followers of jesus and we follow this great commission to go into all the world we went into basingstoke we went into andover and we're going to andover again and we, we're in swindon now this is where we're at and, and acts provides us with such a valuable account of how the church was able to grow and spread out from one place, Jerusalem, into the rest of the Roman Empire. And it's just great to look at. It looks at the, you've, you've probably looked all through the foundations and, and all the works and the examples, and you've gained so much value from it. But you also still see successes and trials and tribulations. And here in this passage, there's a guy called Saul of Tarsus, and he makes a most unwelcome return. You briefly mentioned this morning, back in the previous chapters, chapter 7, it mentions Paul, a young man, standing there as people give coats at the stoning of Stephen. And in chapter 8, he is the chief persecutor of the church in Jerusalem. But even as he scattered the church still grew. As people were, were pushed out, still good stuff was happening. And in this verse, we see the start of this, 
of a God interaction and intervention in Saul's life and what it means for the followers of Jesus. So let's just read it together. Uh, and I'm going to introduce to some of the themes from it. In my Bible, it says the conversion of Saul, which I don't really like. I'm going to call it something different, really. Oh, it's like it's just despair. I'm going to call it this is the way or, or, or belonging to the way. And it starts this verse, chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. But Saul, it's like the words of doom, isn't it, for them? <laughs> They've just been persecuted. They've left. Some wonderful things have happened on the way. Then, but Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for him for letters to the synagogues at, at Damascus. So if he found anyone belonging to, the, belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so Saul is not just content with finishing off the church in Jerusalem. Now he eyes up Damascus, the next major city. See, and we see at this point that the early Christians, the early believers, they weren't actually called Christians. They were identified as belonging to the way. That's how, that's how the word is to say here. And it carries on. Now as he went, now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the other bit we're going to remember. Why? Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice and seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. You see, the story of the early church is a roller coaster ride of ups and downs. And it's, it's not just easy victories and smooth going. And it doesn't always come about in the way you would think. If I was planning the early church, I wouldn't plan it the way, the way, the way God does it. The way God plans for his, is his people. And particularly at this time, this initial time is a terrible threat to the continuation of God's people. It isn't just like a bit of a bump in the road. If this was a roller coaster, Paul started to dismantle the track at the top. And it's just going to fly off and hurtle to its doom. It's a catastrophe. And we look at what's unfolding here. And we see that God comes in. He comes into this one man's life. And it's like Saul hits the buffers. His whole life is turned upside down from this point without the intervention of Jesus. And although we don't see, you read on, and you'll come in the following weeks of, of what happens to Saul and all, and all of the other things, the entire process. You see, Saul, it starts with him getting authority to seize and force all those belonging to the way back to Jerusalem for imprisonment, trial, punishment probably certainly death 
He has one task in mind, and he's going to put a stop to this way, one way or another. And so, inspire the lyrics of the Bondi song, one way or another, <laughs> I'm going to find you. As you know, the, uh, the little kids have gone out there, but those big kids <laughs> are still in here. Saul was so violently opposed to them. Murderous threats. Saul is a religious fundamentalist of the very kind that we see on TV here. But he's not mad or stupid. You see, it tells us in other parts of the Bible that Saul was very well versed in the law of the Hebrew nation. He knew the law. He followed it religiously. And he called himself actually the Hebrew of Hebrews. It's like he, he embodied everything about what the law was. He was of the right line, born into the right family. And he had authority amongst the religious leaders of the time. And he was opposed to this new way. He wanted the law of Moses stopped, finished. He was totally convinced that the followers of Jesus are wrong. Jesus wasn't the saviour they'd been waiting for. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He didn't appear to his disciples. They were wrong. And it's basically Saul's way or no way. And anybody who teaches anything different, he is going to put an end to. And I thought I'd help us. I love this word, the way. Oh. I had a little accident this morning. The prop fell out the back of the car <laughs> and broke. But uh, I, love, I love Lego and I love Star Wars. And, and when you say this is the way, this is what I feel I've got to explain to you this morning. See, these Christian followers said they belong to the way. But I've got to explain to you, it's not like the Mandalorian. In Star Wars... His, his catchphrase is, this is the way. The Mandalorian creed, as it was mantra in Star Wars. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but this is what they say at the end of every statement. This is, this is the way. For those who are not in Lightland, this is a, a TV series. And uh, if you were Mandalorian, you belong to the way. You would, you would have a nice helmet like this. You would go about with it. You can't let anybody see your face. That's part of the way. And uh, they followed a cultural lifestyle, a set of values, practices. They practiced a set of creeds and laws and promises, and they lived a certain way. And you could, could recognize them. They were super cool, super hard, super weapons they had. And uh, this is their thing. But... Uh, just to let you know, these, this, is, wasn't, this wasn't early Star Wars when they say this is the way. It says they belong to the way as followers of Jesus. You see, you follow on from what Jesus has done, doing the same things, but there's more in it than just that. The words here are exclusive and personal. It's not just, it's not just about doing the same things or even saying the same things. These guys were defined as followers of the way. They had wholeheartedly put their lives, their trust in Jesus. They believed he was the son of the living God. He was the Messiah. Through his death and resurrection, 
this wonderful faith in Jesus himself, they had new life. They were, for, they were forgiven and free from shame and sin, and they had new identity. And this is this identity that Paul was, had seen, that followers of the way. And they formed a new community of beautiful sons and daughters doing family life together. This is what belonging to the way means. They didn't just practice the way. They embodied it. You see, Jesus' work in reconciling people to the Father through himself, Jesus has made a way for two things that were totally incompatible to come together. A holy, righteous God and ordinary, rebellious people. Joined, reconciled back into relationship, not just with God, but also with one another. To restore what was in the beginning, what was lost forever. You see, we have, a, we have a life, a wholeness and satisfaction in Jesus. Not just an adherence to a set of rules, like in the Mandalorian. They have a set of rules, and if you follow them, that's it. And these followers were easily recognised. Like, rec- like a lot of you would recognise the Mandalorian. You know, if a Mandalorian walked through Swindon Town and said, oh, that's a Mandalorian. <laughs> you wouldn't find it hard, would you, to recognise one? And these followers of Jesus, they were easily recognisable. As Saul was going to place to place, it, it doesn't tell us how he did, but it, I don't think it was very hard for him to spot them. And it's amazing that um, when you look at this passage... It's amazing how Jesus um, not just stops Saul, but turns his whole life around. And not just turns his life around, but in fact, he's going to play a major role in the offer of Jesus to the entire world. You see, this offer of Jesus, this, this belonging to the way, this offer is open to all. Jesus' offer is personal it's personal to you. He isn't saying come and behave. He's saying come and belong. Come and be what you were created to be, what you were made for. The past record is not important. Come and have a fresh start with me. And this guy Saul, I think, was the least likely follower of the way. If you read the Bible, there's some, some pretty awful characters in there. <laughs> There's some amazing men of God, but there's some pretty awful characters. But he was so opposed to them. I, I just couldn't think of anybody else who, whose past actions could almost be worse in some ways. And I find it very encouraging that Saul was the arch enemy of the way, so deeply, unequivocally opposed to it, he'd set his path in as far away the opposite direction as you could go. And he didn't just keep the option, you know, this, this opinion to himself. He didn't just say a bit of social media trolling. He put it into action, violently and relentlessly. And then suddenly he comes 
face to face with the one he is opposing. He thinks he's opposing people, but he comes face to face, he's opposing Jesus. And in this meeting with Jesus, it stops him in his tracks. And it goes on to change direction. And you see, his past isn't a problem as far as Jesus is concerned. But it did take the intervention of Jesus to turn him around. It also took some other people to help him. Like you were saying this morning about other people taking the bandages off. It took some other people, actually, that you'll go on to hear about next week because I don't want to take anybody away from next week. But other people come in and help Paul after this. After Jesus' intervention, other people come in and help. You see, Jesus' problem with Paul, sorry, with Saul, he puts it to him, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting them. Not even why are you persecuting us. Why are you persecuting me? Yeah, Jesus so loves us. He so loves us individually and collectively that anything happens to us. It's not, it's not like, it's not like you're, you're persecuting that person. Jesus takes it really personally. Why are, you, why are you persecuting me? These people belong to me. They're part of me. In John chapter 14, it records something Jesus said. It says, I am, Jesus says, I am the way. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, this is the way. It says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus' offer to Paul is that he, he challenges him and says, you're going the wrong way. You've not recognized me. Why are you persecuting me? And you sometimes I had a little think about, how did, how did Saul not recognize who Jesus was? He was learning all that scripture, all the Old Testament, he'd have known it, word for word. He saw Jesus' church at work, this beautiful church in Jerusalem of people caring for one another, miracles, the Holy Spirit in action. You just wonder, how did, how did he not got an inkling of who Jesus was? He'd been watching them, spying on them probably. <laughs> All these brothers and sisters, caring and feeding for one another. He'd seen a guy stoned to death, but die in the most gracious and beautiful way. Forgiving those who were doing it as they did it yet he still couldn't see Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't know how you came to follow Jesus, but I, um, I grew up in a Christian family, Christian home. Uh, my dad, my dad led a church, so I, therefore I was a very naughty boy in church, probably, <laughs> as is always the way. But I, I grew up around church life. I knew how good God was. I'd seen it in action. Home life was loving and caring. I'd seen mirac miraculous things happening. I didn't want to follow Jesus. I'd seen it all. Still didn't want to. I wanted to go my own way. 
the way I thought was right. And it wasn't until I came face to face with Jesus, actually, that somebody gave their testimony that it changed my mind. So maybe it is reasonable that Paul, sorry, that Saul just couldn't see who Jesus was. And it takes this intervention, this interaction. And for Saul, it was game-changing. But I don't think it was instant. <laughs> you know, it says actually he had three days at least after this to uh, do some soul-searching, some contemplation, and then lots more time to come to be a follower of Jesus. But certainly, when we meet Jesus for the first time, it's like our paths hit a wall. <laughs> and we turn around and we go the other way. Certainly that's my story. I suddenly realised that all the things I'd been dismissing, (laughs) ignoring, sometimes rebelling against, were suddenly entirely true. See, we have a real saviour, Jesus, who wants a real and intimate relationship with us. And he can cope with people's rebellion against him. He can cope with it. And he can turn people's lives around. The very thing thought he was doing for God actually was was, was the opposite to what it should have been and God turning around. For all Saul's knowledge, he just didn't know him. For all his study and zeal and passion for the scriptures, all his following of rules, all his endeavour, Saul's endeavour, it turned out to be false and futile. See, God loves his church and his plan's going to succeed. Nothing is going to stop him. And he uses the least likely. I think, I think Saul was one of the least likely. If you were, if you were a Christian at the time, if you were, if you were a follower of Jesus at the time, he said, who am I going to pray for today? I don't think Saul would be top of your list. But you see, God wasn't going to let one man ruin his plan. And he wasn't going to ruin, also, the other way around, he wasn't going to ruin one man for his plan also, which I think is amazing. If I was in God's shoes, what would I do with Paul on the Damascus Road? Bit of cloud, bit of thunder. Bzzz. Problem solved. No more Saul. Wouldn't it just have been a bright light that had been some charge to it? You know, God's a God of miracles. But he's got a compassion. Sorry, was that too theological? Zip. That's how God does it. Naughty people. Zip. No. But I just wonder, with this early church, who were, what were they praying at this time? What were these false like? What were they actually praying? I, I really do wonder. Not in, a, not in a bad way, but but I don't think it would be to see souls saved and added to their number. I'd, I'd probably I'd put a fair chance on it not being that but we should never underestimate the amazing lavish grace of God that we have received and that is still poured out for everyone it's poured out for Swindon and his redemptive power to change and turn around lives you see the story of Saul also you know, he hasn't got an auspicious start as a, as a Christian I don't know where you guys come from but his start's not auspicious. 
it is, it is pretty terrible. He's done some pretty terrible things. But God's plan for him still comes through. And this morning, as I've been just worshipping with you guys, it's just been wonderful. And hearing things come out, people's heart come out for the, for the lost and for those amongst you. What, what things are we going to take away from today? What things are we going to learn? That we have this beautiful way that we are part of that we have a personal saviour I don't mean that personal to me saviour I mean in, in the individual sense but that we have a God who wants to know people wants to come into their lives he's not far off he wants to give you direction but most of all he wants to know about you as you follow the way of Jesus putting your trust in him it's not all just about following the rules and doing the right things. Jesus wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. And even if you've got the worst backstory in history, <laughs> you, you don't have to be ashamed or worried. You don't have to think, this is going to stop me from doing whatever it is. We were talking today about stepping out. There is nothing in your backstory that can stop you stepping out for Jesus. There's nothing to be ashamed of. God's got a plan for you to restore you and bring you into his goodness and to use you to bring others also. I do believe that Trinity Life Church is going to bring many to restoration and wholeness. See, Jesus accepts... I felt strongly that Jesus, as I was looking at the sort of the least, this word, the least likely, Jesus accepts and runs after the least likely. And I feel for you guys, you were talking this morning about people that you, you felt needed to just have a, you know, either in the grave, had, had either backslidden or far away. Jesus accepts and runs after life, the least likely. He accepts everyone. Anybody can belong. And you've already done this, but I was going to say, who's your least likely? Where are they? Are they in your family, in your workplace, in your home, in your school? Wherever God has placed you in life, who needs an intervention of Jesus? They just don't see it. You guys are doing a great job. They just don't. Who needs an intervention where it's like, it's like a flash of blinding light? Just to turn the lights on for them to say, this is Jesus. They need you as well. Jesus, like, Jesus didn't do it all. He, did, he, did, he, did, he does the main job and he uses us. Yeah. But, but he also, he uses us also in it. And you know, we look at these Bible characters and there are no heroes. You can read about Saul and you can go on to read about what he does. But don't put them on a pedestal special. And if you're wondering, you know, think, actually, I'm not really of the right stuff. I wasn't born of the right, whatever it was, education, family. I don't really have the right words to say to be able to make an impact. 
then throw that away because that's nonsense. Throw it away, it's nonsense. God can use you, whoever you are, in the place that you are. I want to finish with this for you guys. The Acts of the Apostles doesn't finish at the end of the book. (laughs) It continues through you, through, through the church of Jesus Christ, both gathered, scattered, small, large, doesn't matter. This is what God has for you. I'm going to wrap up there. I was going to pray for some stuff, but I think you've, you did that in the worship, praying for the, praying for the least likely. But do you guys, do you want to go judge? I, I do really feel that it's this, this least likely thing. Should we just stand together and would you just pray? Let's pray for, so whatever God brings to your mind, whoever, whoever it is, let's just pray that Jesus will intervene. Let's just pray together and then one or two maybe pray out.